Welcome in to another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is on the show with me as always. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm I'm living the dream. It's uh, I think we're all still recovering from Saturday, but uh, I think we're we're headed in the right direction here with uh, some mailbag questions to hopefully uh, ease some concerns if we can. I don't know. We'll see how this goes, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to answer some questions. Yeah, Eric kind of. Let the bag out. Uh, this is Mailbag Wednesday. You are listening to this podcast if you listen to it on its release date, which is Wednesday, September 4th. And uh, second Mailbag edition, we're going to do this every Wednesday. We're going to take your duck questions. You you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, my account is simply just Matt Prem. Uh, Eric is Eric underscore Scopel. Uh, you could tweet either of us a question. You can also hit us up on duckterritory.com. Shoot us a, a, a private message there, uh, and we got you covered. You could email us. I don't know if I've ever given out my email, but I won't. So good luck <laughs> trying to do that. Um, but lots of opportunities for you, the fan, to kind of dictate where this show goes. And today we have a bunch of questions, and for the first time I'm – I'm really excited to do these podcasts. I'm always excited, but I'm really excited now because we have actual football to talk about instead of projections and guesses and, and trying to, you know, come up with, with impressions off of practice and all that. We have actual substance of football to talk about. Uh, and so Eric, I will let you carry this show all the way to the end by leading off with our mailbag questions. How mad would you be if I opened with a question asking you how long it would take you to, to take a seat in every seat in Autzen? Would that be like that wouldn't be a football question, right? No, I I would press stop record. <laughs> okay, well let's start with that first question here. I think it's a good question in summation here from at Ryan Bayless twenty two. What are Oregon's odds to get a New York Six Bowl? Will winning out help get a a playoff bid? I'll let you answer that one, Matt. Um, I think I mean I think New York Six Bowl. If you win out, you're in. Because you get the right. Rose Bowl, you know, and I, I think so. That's still on the table. It's realistic. Um, is is Oregon still in the playoff picture? Um, I don't know. I, I feel I feel very. It feels like a knee jerk reaction to say the chances of getting into the college football playoff after one game, week one are entirely out the window. Um, the window probably is almost closed, though. Like, there's a small sliver. Can you get your fingers under the, the, the door or under the window frame and pull the window back up? That, you know, that that's the question, I think, for the college football playoff chances. But New Year's Six, absolutely. I mean, I walked away from Arlington, Texas, in that Auburn game where Oregon lost 27-21, to 21. In, uh, with nine seconds to go in the game thinking, you know, if those, that touchdown didn't happen and, and Auburn doesn't score, I mean, we're talking Oregon being a college football playoff contender. And so New Year's Six is still on the table. And I think, I mean, Washington's going to be a tough game. Stanford is going to be a tough game. Washington State will be a tough game. You know, road games at USC, at Arizona State, those will be tough football games. But I didn't walk away thinking, wow, you know, Oregon could, or Oregon's going to be in, in deep trouble if they play blank, or they they have no chance against team blank in the Pac-12 conference. You know, they they need to execute clearly. You know, they need you know they need to improve in some areas. But 
when they play at their best football, I think they they still are the the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, and I I echo your feeling there a lot. Your sentiment, I agree with. Just that there, I saw again. I said this before on the podcast, or a story on the site uh, on Sunday. I didn't see anything that led, leads me to believe this team can't contend. That this team won't be able to reach any of its goals. And I think. Yeah, the odds of getting into a New York Six Bowl, they're the same as they were before because if they win the conference like we still think they can, they'll play in the Rose Bowl. Um, if, if they play in the conference championship game and lose, they might still get in New York, New York Six, or the New Year's Six as well. I don't know. You'd have probably be a bit more difficult. Um, the playoff bid thing is, it's, it's really hard to predict. The, I think at this point, obviously the only way they do it is if they're 12 and 1 entering that. And a lot of that will depend upon what happens throughout the rest of the country. I think a lot of it's outside of their control a little bit, which is, a crazy thing to say, given the fact that um, we've only played one football game. But unfortunately, with the way things work, there's very little margin of error to recover from a loss like that. And Oregon has, you know, by losing that game to Auburn, a game that was very winnable, has made things a lot more difficult in terms of getting into the playoff bid. And, and we'll probably have a much better idea of the possibility of that. Um, after the Stanford game. I think that's going to be the next big test. And if they go out there and, and they beat up Stanford pretty good, you're going to have a, a completely different feeling than you do right now. Next question comes Yeah, from well, real quick, oh, real quick. Yeah. I, I think it's it's Oregon's now presented with a situation where they have to go 11-0. and And it's much easier to go 5-0, and lose a football game, finish out the season 6-0. and Right. It's much easier to do that than winning 11 straight games. It's not impossible. I think Oregon could do it, but your margin of error has now all of a sudden shrunk to a razor thin level because if you lose one more game, you're, you're out of the college football playoff. You will not get in. Your chances right now are, are slim. If you lose one more, you're done. And if you lose two conference games, you're not going to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. So the next question comes from at Clear Duck. Going forward in tight games, does game management concern you, i.e. Stanford in 2018 and Auburn in 2019? Um, I'll take this one to start. I, I, I think it has to, to a certain level, right? And, and I, I won't say – I mean, I, I think you'd be ignorant. You'd probably be intentionally ignoring things that you saw in both those games if you if you came away going like, no, the game management has been absolutely perfect. It's been flawless. Everything Mario Cristobal has chosen to do has been perfect. I think he would tell you that. I mean, he, he actually admitted, I thought it was interesting on Monday during the press conference, was asked about the use of the, the two timeouts on back-to-back plays. He admitted there was some uncertainty about whether or not Justin Herbert could come back into the game. Um, after using a timeout, and obviously the rule says no, and so they wasted two timeouts, and he admitted that was a, I was unsure on the rule. So that, to me, is, is clearly um, an instance there where, yeah, the, the game management wasn't perfect. You know, if they had another timeout, maybe this game plays out slightly different. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to project because it did play out in such a unique way. But, um, yeah, I, I think the game management has to concern you at the same time. I don't think it's so bad that I think, Anytime it's a one-score game, Oregon is going to lose. Um, I think we will see here, I think throughout this season, opportunities for the game management uh, where it will be integral, where they play Washington, where they play Stanford, where they play maybe USC. I don't know, the quarterback situation there is interesting. Where they play Washington State and Arizona State, maybe Utah in a conference championship game where you're going to have to make some tough decisions at the end of the game and kind of strategize appropriately. But I haven't seen enough in those two games to come away going like, 
if this is a three-point game with a minute left, Oregon is going to make the wrong choice every time and they're screwed. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's going to be growth just like, you know, the team see growth from week one to week 12. The coaching staff will see growth from week one to week 12. But at the same time, I think you have to have some kind of questioning or are they, or are they going to, are they going to be able to make, you know, the adjustments needed, you know, based off of the data that we've seen, you know, the last year and, and one game. Um, you know, I, I try not to make, you know, some irrational thoughts after one game, you know, but you also have to go in and you have to have to consider, you know, this is a Royals third year at, at the helm at, at, as Oregon's offensive coordinator, second year under Mario Cristobal, and, you know, so you're starting to develop trends, but I don't think it's to the point yet where you can't just assume this is who he is because look, that first quarter against Auburn, Oregon's offense was unreal. Yep. And Arroyo was drawing, you know, Arroyo should get the credit for the, you know, it, it, the offense got hammered hard by the fans and by the media for how they performed in the second half. But no one's talking about how they performed really in, in, you know, a quarter and a half of work in the first half. I mean, they were, they weren't just winning, you know, they were dominating an Auburn defense that was considered one of the best defenses in the country. It's just a chip field goal, which the offense has nothing to do with, you know, not, you know, going in for it, for it being a, a 17 to, you know, what was the score? 14 to six at halftime instead of it being 17 six. Or, you know, it's not the offensive coordinator's fault that a receiver <coughs> dropped a blatant pass in the end zone for on a third down. You know, so you could easily have put another, you know, four more points on top of that. And, and, you know, it's, it's not the offensive coordinator's fault. I mean, I posted this on duckterritory.com. Um, but Jeff Schwartz on Twitter posted a, a, an all 22 angle and it's just one play. And there's like, he's got a couple more, but you know, it, it you don't want to make too much of one play, but at the same time, there was a run by CJ Verdell where he got stuffed for a loss of, I think three or four yards on the left hash. And the play in itself looks like, if you just look at the, you know, the paper aspect of the play, see Jeff Verdell rushed for, you know, negative three or four yards. It's a negative play. And you look at it and say, that was a bad play. Why'd they run that? Don't do that again. But you watch the all 22 tape and you see that Verdell missed a hole that was about as wide as eight or nine yards. And there was no one near him had he gone through that hole and he could have, he would have probably gotten the first down, he probably would have gotten 20 or 30 yards on the ground, maybe even scored a touchdown. We don't, we don't know, but bad play calls sometimes result in good results. And sometimes good play calls result in poor results just because of the human element. And so I, I think there's going to be some concern. Sure. If Oregon gets into a tight game and it's kind of one of those, you know, put up or shut up time. You know, your actions speak louder than your words. And right now, Oregon in tight games, they don't make the plays that are needed to do to win the game. But I think they're close. I think they're close to turning that narrative around. And so I think there's going to be a little bit, long answer short, there's going to be a little bit, you know, to of, of, of concern going into these tight games. But I think there are breadcrumbs here and there that make me think they're close to, you know, breaking through. Next question comes from at Johnny four two three five. Why no? Numbers. It is a lot of numbers. Why no pass attempts to Addison and Webb, who are very tall? Why did we not try to throw to them? 
Um, well, I think that's sort of not representative of the game. Webb caught a touchdown pass. Addison drops what would have been a touchdown pass. I think maybe combined they were, I think, targeted maybe six times. I know uh, Addison had one catch for six yards, and uh, Webb had three for, I believe, 28. So uh, those guys were involved in the passing game. I think one thing that we should mention is, you know, we're recording this podcast. We were just speaking with some, uh, you know, the players and, and, and Webb and, uh, and offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo, and kind of one thing that stood out is that they saw enough from that game from Webb as a wide receiver that they're going to try to expand his role, not just in the passing game, but at wide receiver. And it sounds like it's not out of the realm of possibility that he remains a full-time wide receiver um, for the rest of the season, maybe the rest of his career, depending on how things play out. And he, he, one thing he said was that in high school, he played a little bit more of that split-out tight end than he did uh, a traditional tight end, you know, hand in the dirt, lining up off, you know, opposite of the left or right tackle. So um, that's something to be aware of. But I, they definitely did try to throw passes to them. Addison, I think, after the dropped touchdown in the back of the end zone, maybe was only targeted once, and his, his involvement wasn't great. We should mention he did save a touchdown um, after the uh, fumble, uh, he ran yeah, all the way get a, down the he, field. He, give, give him a shout a out for that. for that. He needs a lot. He needs a shout out for that. But in terms of their involvement in the passing game, I think Webb is going to be somebody you continue to see be used more and more. I think he's proven now, in one game at least, and obviously I guess it's knee jerk to say he's proven it, but we, we saw enough in that one game to go. He looks like somebody who can definitely be involved in this passing game. And given all the injuries, like. What maybe he's their third or fourth best pass receiver right now? I mean, that's how crazy things are because of the injuries. But maybe he's their third or fourth most reliable guy. Addison, I don't think has proven it quite as much. But um, those are two names that you definitely want to keep an eye on, especially against Nevada, where we think this game is going to be uh, maybe less competitive than last week, at least, and then hopefully an opportunity to see some of these younger guys get out there a little bit more. Yeah, you know, one thing we should also note is um, the offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo on Tuesday said that um, if he could go back and play that game over again, he would have given more opportunities to make plays. Yeah. More opportunities. I'll just say that because that's kind of what he said. More opportunities for Oregon's younger receivers. He said he would have let them out a little bit more. And I took that as he would have opened up the offense a little bit more, taken a couple more deep shots maybe. Um, You know, don't just rely – on the safe stuff of the passing game. And that's my interpretation. It's not what Arroyo said, but that's how I interpreted him coming out and saying if he could have gone back over again and they need to do it moving forward is letting the receivers you know, play a little bit more, the younger receivers go a little bit more. Um, I wish I had the transcript in front of me. but Right, but it was um, something I agree. That was my interpretation as well. But I, but I viewed it as, you know, they need he, – he said we need to do a better job of – letting the younger receivers have a chance to go out and make plays. And that's what you want, right? From, you know, if you make a mistake and, you know, you need to make an adjustment, make them. And it sounds like that's going to be one of their adjustments is let's not be ultra conservative with our younger receivers that, you know, haven't proven that they've played at the big stage yet. Let's just go out and see what they can do. Yeah, and we'll get a chance on Saturday, I think, against Nevada again to to see if that comes together and and maybe to see if this offense does open up just a little bit more. Next question from Skodux FP. Do you believe a close loss to an SEC opponent is a good look or a bad look in terms of recruiting? Obviously, they'd like to see a win, but hopefully that compels them to come and beat those teams in the future. I'll let you take that one, Matt. 
Can you say that one one more time? Oh, uh, do you believe a close loss to an SEC opponent is a good or bad look for recruiting? Obviously, they'd like to see a win, but hopefully that that compels them to come and beat those teams in the future. Yeah, I think that opens the door. I mean, the the great thing about recruiting is that you can spin any outcome into your favor, right? Like, the game ends and you lose by one point, and you can go to a receiver and be like, look, we just we need one more piece at the receiver position to, to make us go from being a good football team to being an elite team. You're that guy. You know, we need one more piece along the offensive line, and we're there. You're that guy. Uh, defensively, look, we we got beat on a last-second play. We feel like Keely Ringo, you five, you're a five-star you know, defensive back from Arizona. You can come to Oregon. You can instantly get on some playing time, get on the field, and, and make an impact and prevent that one touchdown that changed the game from a win to a loss in our, in our perspective. You know, so, yeah, I, I don't think – I, I, I think you, you can spin wins and losses every which way. Um, at the same time, I don't think recruits really look at the individual outcome of a game as a deciding factor unless it's kind of like, you know, uh, do I want to play for the team that wins the national championship or do I want to play for the team that lost in the national championship? You know, something of that nature. Or um, do I want to play for a team that's, in the college football playoff, or do I want to play for a team that's struggling to make a bowl game? I don't think Oregon's going to be struggling to make a bowl game in, in 2019. Um, it, you know, recruiting, you can spend any outcome to, you know, as a positive. It would shock me if we all of a sudden heard that Savelle Small is a five-star outside linebacker from Seattle. Kennedy High School comes out and says, well, because Oregon lost against Auburn, I'm no longer considering them. That would, that would be a shock. So in, in reality, it's more of, you know, if Oregon's coaches are as good as I believe they are from a recruiting perspective, they'll be able to, to get this loss and viewed as from the, you know, the big time recruits. We're one guy away. We're a couple guys away. You could be the difference maker in, in getting this program from a team that wins 10 games to a team that wins 12 games in the regular season. You know, and, and really quick, like you said, I don't think that the outcome of one game is going to determine a recruitment. Um, it might be something that's brought up during a recruitment. If it recruitment. does, it's for the positive. Right. And, and I was, what I was going to say was like last year, Kayvon Thibodeau, he came and visited during the Washington game and he got probably played some role. He was there for a really fun football game. He got to see the atmosphere. I think that certainly impacted things, but Oregon also hosted a lot of recruits against Stanford and that was a demoralizing loss and Oregon still ends up signing the best signing class in, in program history. So I think to, to say a recruitment hinges based upon the outcome of a single football game is sort of short-sighted. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a recruit out there that is determining every single recruitment based upon the head-to-head matchups, but I'd be really shocked if that was the case. There's so many other factors involved. So, um, does it is it good or bad one way or the other? Maybe it's maybe a little bit one way or the other, but I don't think you come away from watching that game and go, "Oh, I'm not going to Oregon now," or "Oh, I'm definitely going to go to Oregon now" based upon how that game played out. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors here on the Odds and Audibles podcast, and we'll continue Mailbag Wednesday on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perrine. Eric Scopel is with me on the show. Uh, we're talking Oregon football, taking your questions, uh, breaking it all down. Uh, we are halfway through this mailbag. Eric, I turn to you for the next question. This question comes from at Johnny Feck, T-H-E-K, I think. How many seats at Otson will not be filled this weekend because of our loss to Auburn? Uh, I would hope the answer is zero or not very many. I, I would hope there aren't fans that would de- decide they aren't going to support the team based upon a six-point loss to a really decent football team in a game they led for all but, you know, basically the last 10 seconds. I would hope that doesn't take place. I would be uh, shocked if the stadium's, like, not really close to full. And we should mention students aren't back in session, so there probably is, the, I mean, the full allotment of the student section isn't going to be full. And and maybe it won't be announced to sell out, but I, I would be, or maybe I might, it might have already been announced to sell out, but I would be really floored if it's, if I look out there on Saturday against Nevada and it's just, you know, sections of seats open because fans are so fed up or disappointed in the outcome. You agree with that, Matt? I, I just don't see that being a thing that happens. That'd be pretty disappointing, right? Like, I'd be very disappointed, yeah. Like if, if all of a sudden one game decides that you don't go to the season opening game at Austin Stadium, you don't hear shout, you don't see the team play, you know, you don't see a game where, you know, the Vadas bringing in and, you know, a lot of momentum on their side. They, yep. they upset a power, a group of, uh, a power five team in Purdue, you know, in, in thrilling fashion. You know, this is a team that, you know, they, they, they have historically been a decent program at times. You know, I don't think they're going to beat Oregon, but I don't know how many Purdue fans were expecting, you know, Nevada win when they played week one. Um, that would be really disappointing if there's huge chunks of, of people not here. Am I expecting a sellout? No, I don't think I'll, I don't think we're we're going to see a sellout. I mean, you you hit it perfectly that the students aren't back yet, and that that helps dictate a you know a, a sellout or not is if you can get the full student you know allotment sold out. That takes up a huge part of one side of the stadium, you know, it would, it wouldn't surprise me if the student section's half full. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there's probably going to be a couple fans that were maybe from the Portland area or coming up from Medford or, or Bend or whatnot that would say like, you know what, like we have tickets and, you know, we got tickets down the road. And, you know, if it won the game, sure. But, you know, maybe we'll, we'll catch this one on, on TV first because it's a night game type of deal. Um, if it was a day game, I would, I would certainly say it would be, Close to sold out, if if not sold out. But since it's a, a 4.30 kick and if you're traveling anywhere beyond, I don't know, two hours, you're probably not going to be getting home to Eugene till, or home for wherever you're from till probably, you know, midnight or, or one o'clock at the earliest. 
um, for for this football game. So I I think we'll probably see some empty seats, but it would shock me if it was you know just huge gapping holes. Uh, 100% agreement. I, I think you're going to see pretty close to uh, a full stadium on Saturday for Nevada. At JD High Roller, Oregon's front seven began to look gassed late in the game against Auburn because they couldn't get off the field. Yet players like DJ Johnson didn't see the field. Do you see this as a poor personnel management, considering what Cristobal said of Johnson in his Monday press conference? Uh, to, and to summarize what Cristobal said, I, I actually asked the question because I, I did find it interesting. Johnson is somebody who obviously came in from Miami as a highly rated prospect when he transferred over, um, a guy who I think people thought might have a pretty big role, might even start this year. He was in the two deep uh, last week. He's still in the two deep, we should mention. But he didn't play at all against Auburn. He wasn't. I, I did see him on the sideline. He was dressed, so he was available. It looks like Cristobal said he was available. They just chose basically not to, and that they played him more going forward. Uh, I can't speak to that being a poor personnel management choice because I'm not in the coach's shoes, and I don't know what it looks like in practice and everything. But I did think it was interesting that Johnson, 6'5", 275, plays either outside linebacker or with his hand in the dirt as a defensive end, didn't see the field at all. I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, he's certainly physically capable of being a factor going forward. Um, and I would expect that against a game like Nevada is a great opportunity for him to see the field potentially a, a fair amount. Um, but do I think it's a poor personnel decision? Um, probably not, just because I don't know all the circumstances. Do I think the defense looked gassed at the end of the game? Yeah, I do. I did think they looked tired. Do you agree, Matt? That had more to do with the offense not being able to sustain drives. 100%. Right? I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of why Oregon looked gassed. It wasn't because they had depth issues. I mean, they were you know they were perfectly fine in the third quarter. They're perfectly fine in the second quarter. I mean, it, it was because you know if you you put you know the, the narrative around and, and flip the the roles, you know Auburn. Yeah, they, I guess they did look they looked gassed, but it was because. You know they had, they were out on the field for so much. You know you only can do, you only can go out there so many times without getting tired, and that's going to happen. As for DJ Johnson, I thought Mario Cristobal's comment was interesting of you know, the word choice. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but we need to play him more. Well, he didn't even play, <laughs> so well, more than zero is one or more. So he, he, you know, it's hard not to play him. It's hard to play him less than zero. Put it that way. So I mean, I, I think it was interesting. I mean, we heard a lot about DJ Johnson all of last season. Um, you know, we, we heard a lot about him during the spring ball. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, he wasn't brought up all that much during fall camp. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of get the impression that maybe he was a little, you know, he was surpassed a little bit and, or, you know, the, the, the differential of, of him to the guy ahead of him on the depth chart was, was pretty wide. Yeah. I think that to me from my perspective, is more of what it is than a poor decision with the player. And that's why I wanted to say I don't know exactly what the practices look like because, again, we have kind of been cut our access. And even when we were watching, it was hard to sort of gauge the, the hierarchy there. But it did seem like he was a little bit behind Bryson Young, a little behind Gus Cumberlander and Kayvon Thibodeau, even May Spuna at that stud position. Um, so I think this is a situation where he he's a talented football player, but Oregon is really good at those spots. Like, they've got really, really talented players at both those spots. Maybe he's just a little bit behind. All right, uh, two more here to go. Uh, one from at Dweather5. Are there any five-star quarterbacks or five-star wide receivers Oregon is close to getting in recruiting? Um, DJ Stroud's not a five-star quarterback. 
Um, they, they are looking at him, but they already got Jay Butterfield committed. And Butterfield's a second-best pro-style quarterback in the country, the 104th-best player nationally, regardless of position. So, you know, I don't know. I don't. I personally don't get the infatuation of going out and getting a second quarterback in this position. Um, C.J. Stroud is the seventh-best pro-style quarterback, and he's ranked 192nd nationally. So, I mean, in my eyes, you know, Butterfield is significantly better than Stroud is. So anyone out there right now that that's available from a running back perspective, you know, you're not going to get that's better than, than, than Butterfield. Um, from a receiver standpoint, you know, they've, they've got a couple guys, um, you know, on the docket still available. You know, Johnny Johnson, uh, Johnny Wilson, excuse me, is, is the ninth best receiver in the country, the 60th best player in the, in the country, regardless of position. And he's committed to the Ducks. So, you know, that's good. But are there any five-star receivers that are looking at Oregon right now? No. But there's plenty of four-star guys out there that, you know, have got some, some potential and some size that, you know, Oregon's high on. Yeah, and my response would be that I think Oregon's basically got their top target at quarterback in Butterfield, or at least the top guy after they lost out on DJU, and at wide receiver with, you mentioned, Johnny Wilson, probably at the top or very, very close to the top of their guys. And so if you're worried about the future of those position groups, I would say don't be, because these are like some of the highest-rate recruits Oregon's ever landed right. at those position groups. I'd have to go back and look through, but they're both like top three, top four at their position group in terms of the, the commitments Oregon has landed um, historically. So these are they're, they're pretty good position with those spots. Would they like to add maybe another receiver? Maybe if the right guy or two's out there. Um, but I, I don't think if you're looking for Oregon to, to sign a bunch of five stars at those positions, if that's going to happen. But I think you should be very happy with where they're at right now. Last question comes from Stephen J. Nelson 1. Is Sean Dollars in the mix at all for playing time? Um, you know, it's a loaded running back situation, right? I mean, C.J. Verdell and Travis Guy are clearly 1A and 1B. Verdell, you know, had about, what, 14 out of the team, just I think 30 carries. So he's basically handling the majority of what they're doing. Die is clearly the second guy. Darian Felix and Cyrus Abibi Bikio both came in on Saturday in situations um, where Verdell and Die were both kind of dinged up. And Abibi Bikio handled it a little bit. And, and we should mention Felix had one of the team's three uh, touchdowns on the run on a really nice, uh, well, it was a little bit of a story on this, but he had a nice stutter step that set up a touchdown run. Um, so Dollars is, by the look of it, fifth amongst the running backs. And I think these next two weeks against Nevada and then against Montana will go a long way in determining how involved or, or how much they'll use him this year. I, I, I think just based upon the depth we've seen so far, and of course I'm going to knock on wood here, based upon injuries, it can change things, but... My expectation is Dollars is a guy who would be a luxury, to, or maybe by necessity they would play him. Be, right now it's kind of a luxury to have him on the field a lot. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those Dollars is going to have to kind of push his way, force his way right. onto the football field. I don't know if we'll even see him against Nevada. Um, we might see him against Montana. Um, <clears throat> the reason I say that because, you know, Oregon State's on the schedule. That's a game that – on paper, where we're at right now on on September 4th, that Oregon should obliterate Oregon State, and in the second half you can play every backup you want if you if you if you choose to. That should be that type of a game. Um, 
I think there's an opportunity for for Arizona to be that type of a game, for Montana to be that type of a game, uh, Colorado to be that type of a game, maybe even Cal, really, where you know you can get your second, third, and even fourth string guys in at some point in the fourth quarter. Um, so I don't, I don't know if we'll, we'll see dollars against Nevada. Um, I do think, and I'm going to kind of change the question. If there is a running back that you want to get some reps for, I do think we need to see Darian Felix get probably 20 reps, uh, at carrying the football in the next two weeks to see, see what he can do. Because I think Verdell is, is, is a solid running back. I think Travis Dye is a solid running back, but you know, we don't really know what Darian Felix is. I think we, I think those, I, I think he could be good, but we don't know. And so give, give him some game reps behind the starting offensive line and see what he could do. And, and who knows? I mean, he had a, a solid freshman year, uh, in 2017 as I think the third or the fourth running back on the roster. Um, and then, you know, he got hurt all of last year. And so, we don't really know what he is in this offense, especially since Mario Cristobal became head coach. So I thought he looked pretty good in the very limited amount of snaps that he got uh, against Auburn. And, you know, the reason he could, he, he doesn't play could be because, you know, he's not very good at pass protection. I mean, that that's just as equally as important uh, for Jim, Ma- Jim Astro, Oregon's running back coach, than it is getting yards. You've got to be able to protect Herbert because you're the ba- you're the last line of defense. And, you know, Verdell's pretty good at it. I think Dye is probably not as good as Verdell, but he's, he's a solid guy there. Um, so maybe that's what is preventing Darian from, from moving up the depth chart. I don't, I don't know, but I think you need to see what you have in Darian, um, just to, just to make sure that, you're playing and rotating in, you know, your best options at running back. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with you there that Felix is somebody that we'd love to, I'd love to see a little bit more of what he can do. I was actually interested in maybe seeing a little bit more of him, you know, in that Auburn game after he scored the touchdown. It looked like uh, Verdell and Dye obviously came back in the game. I was wondering if we might see a little bit more of Felix. Obviously, it's a big situation to put somebody that they haven't relied upon really in the past, but uh, I agree in terms of he's somebody that, feels like is worth giving a full audition in these game situations if it's if it's available obviously if it's a really tight game late you don't want to force him out there but you know he's got probably the best speed of his running backs get him out in the open field and maybe he becomes somebody that you utilize a lot more and actually a thing I asked him was you know they used him kind of on an end around of that running touchdown I asked him if that's something that he was comfortable with and he said that's like kind of what he did a lot in high school and those might be that might be another area to kind of utilize his speed because he's a really fast fast guy yeah, that's going to be an interesting development to see play out, I think, in the next two weeks. And it's not just at running back. It's a lot of positions. I mean, sure. what do you have at receiver? You know, what, like taking what Marcus Arroyo said on Tuesday and, you know, opening up the offense a little bit to the younger guys and letting them, you know, do everything. You know, what, what emerges from that? Do, do we see Brian Addison and Spencer Webb emerge as, you know, these Stanford-esque, you know, post-up guys? You know, where, you know, Stanford is historically known for just, you know, having six foot five, six foot six receivers that are basically tight ends out on, on the perimeter and, you know, playing jump ball with them. I mean, even Patrick Herbert, you know, Royal said, you know, Herbert's another guy that, that fits in that, in line with that type of, you know, skill set of, of a web. And, you know, 
maybe we, we see Patrick Herbert get on the football field a little bit or Webb's, you know, role in the offense drastically expand. Um, you know, maybe they open things up a little bit and, and JJ Tucker or, or a Josh Delgado makes a couple, you know, jump ball plays deep in, in the field or, or maybe even just for the older guys opening things up and, you know, Johnny Johnson or Jalen Red or J, you know, maybe Juwan Johnson gets back for, for Nevada and we see that. Um, on the defensive side, maybe you open things up and, you know, blitz a little bit more or I, I don't know, you know, but I, I think we'll learn a lot or we'll see a lot of combinations and, you know, potential, you know, rotations and whatnot with these next two games because, well, you're not overlooking the opponent. You know, they're on paper going to be drastically inferior compared to Auburn. And you would think that, you know, if Oregon plays their best, they would more than have enough talent and, and ability to win both of these football games going away. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that especially this week against Nevada, it's going to be very telling, but an opportunity, I think, to open some things up and maybe expand some roles for players that showed on Saturday they earned it. Spencer Webb, in particular, being one that I know uh, Arroyo and Cristobal have both said they want to try to utilize a little bit more offensively. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Ops and Audible's Mailbag Wednesday. Thank you for listening. As always, send your questions to Eric or I on Twitter. Mine is simply at Matt Prame. Eric is at Eric underscore Scopel. Uh, or you can hit us up on DuckTerritory.com and privately message us there your questions as well. Uh, please go to DuckTerritory.com. Give our stuff a read. Subscribe to the site. You can do it for as low as $1. Uh, until next Wednesday for our Mailbag Wednesday again, we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.